Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Uh, we are in the last chapter. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, the last couple of weeks I've been trying to get through so that last week I wanted to get through 36 because as you can see, if you're looking, if you're on one page, there's only 23 verses. And usually on a, on a Wednesday night, we go through two, three chapters, sometimes four. And this is an awfully short chapter, but it's a full one. And uh, as we look at it tonight, we, we see that God, God comes with the, what he promised was coming. And unfortunately, it's the judgment that is coming on now, the tribes of Judah. We looked at this last time and the last couple of times. God, God said, this is coming against the people because of the sins of Manasseh and the innocent blood that was shed. But it tells us in 2 Kings that it's not just that. This is, this is because the children of Israel first, the children of Judah along with them, all the way back to when they came out of, God delivered them out of Egypt, have continued to rebel, have continued to turn their back on the Lord. And this judgment was coming. And we looked last time at the godly King Josiah, the last godly king that Judah would see. And because of his heart and when he saw the judgment that was coming, it tells us that he was broken. It tells us that he tore his clothes in humility and he, he inquired of the Lord as to what, what, this, what this all means. And it came back to him that the judgment is certainly coming, but because of his heart and because of, of his brokenness before the Lord, that he would, go to, he would go home to be with the Lord in peace. This would come after his reign. We talked about the, that, how, how that plays into us. We know judgment is coming. We know that we're going to the Lord in peace, but that doesn't mean we just kick back. We do what Josiah did, taking the word out sharing it with others and, and realizing that time is short, a sense of urgency carried with that. Well, as we now tra transition now into chapter 36, at the end of 35, we see Josiah um, uh, meets, <laughs> dies in, in battle. Um, the world landscape is, is changing. Assyria has been the world power at this time. They're the ones who conquered uh, the northern tribes of Israel and scattered them, dispersed them. Assyria has been the world power, but there has been a shift taking place. And Babylon now is coming into power. And uh, the, the, the king of, of Babylon at the time, what we start our looking, his name is Nadopolassar. I don't know if many of you have heard of him, Nadopolassar. I guarantee most, if not all of you, have heard of his son, Nebuchadnezzar. And they are now rising in power. It tells us, as we look through history, not just biblical history, but external history, Babylonian history, and, and, the, and outside sources in history. We have dates. We have things that are confirmed that take place in 612. Uh, the Assyrian capital of Nineveh falls to the Babylonians. And then in 610, Nadopolassar makes a push even further. And that's when it starts coming down, taking more of Assyria's territory, moving towards Egypt. And that's what we looked at last time. Remember, Necho, the king of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, was going up to join the forces of Assyria to fight this Babylonian onslaught that is coming. And that's where Josiah, as we talked about, stuck his nose in where he shouldn't have. And it ended up costing him his life. And we see then that, that, that he dies in this battle. And that's where we pick up chapter 36, verse 1. 
Then the people of the land took Joahaz, that is the youngest son of Josiah. Normally it's the oldest son, but they take the youngest son, we don't have any more information than that, and make him king in place of his father in Jerusalem. Joahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His reign was extremely short, but in three months, it tells us in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 32, this, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. His, his father, Josiah, one of the godliest men that ever reigned in, in, in all of Judah, and his son in just three months takes the people away, turns the people away, says, does evil in the sight of the Lord, leads the people astray again. We talked of this last time, that even in Josiah, his heart was for the Lord. There was a lot of uh, external revival going on in the land, but it tells us in the word of God, God says, their hearts didn't turn to me. Josiah did, but the hearts of the people didn't. And that's why it's so easy then for them to now turn back, follow after Joahaz, who just reigned for three months. Then the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem. On Necho, on his way back to Egypt, stops by. He knows Josiah has died. He doesn't like the arrangement. And now he brings the, the, the children of Judah under subjection to him. He takes Joahaz back to Egypt with him and places now his brother Eliakim on the throne. It tells us the king deposed him at Jerusalem, imposed on the land a fine of a hundred talents of silver and one talent of gold that they would pay to them. Over the course of, of four years, Egypt will rule over Judah for four years. The king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Joahaz, his brother, and brought him to Egypt. He would die there in Egypt. He would never return. Jehoiakim... Verse, verse 5, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He also, turning away from the, the ways of his father, and following even, even more so at the ways that his brother had started in, it's interesting, when we look at Jeremiah 36, we get a glimpse into just a piece of it. it. tells us in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, take a scroll and write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the day I first spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Write down all of the things that I've shown you and I've seen of all of the destruction and the devastation that's coming. But again, see the heart of God. It says this, Jeremiah 36, verse 3. Perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. God's heart, even to this point, is saying, turn. You can have your sin forgiven if you would simply turn from your evil and wicked ways. And as we continue to read through, we won't do that just for the sake of time tonight, chapter 36, it tells us that when that scroll was completed, it was read in the hearing of some of the people, and they were like, oh my goodness, we need to do something about this. We have to tell the king. So they go to some of the king's people, and they tell them, and they're like, the king's got to hear this, but you guys better go hide just in case he doesn't like what he hears. 
They take it in. They read it to him. It says that he, they read just a, just a little bit of it, and he takes out a knife. He cuts it, and he throws it into the fire, the scroll. Then he demands that Jeremiah and the, the, the scribe that was writing it down be brought, but God hid them, it says. But that's how hard his heart was already, just in the fourth year, and turned away from God. And guys, just, just newsflash, if you don't like what the word of God says and you say, you know what, I'm just going to tear that section out of my Bible and throw that away, that doesn't change the word of God. <laughs> it doesn't change our accountability to God. Uh, I had heard a, a part of this emergent church movement and one of the, the guys that is there that says, you know, we as the church ought to take the book of Romans out of our Bible for 10 years. And then when, later on, you know, da, 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 he had, a, it went on and on and on. It's just, I don't know about you. I'm awful blessed going through Romans myself this week on the weekends. I can't imagine a Bible without Romans in it telling me I'm justified by faith. Praise the Lord. But bottom line is, that's what a lot of the world says. You know what? There's certain things that are in the Bible that I don't agree with. It doesn't fit my style. So you know what? I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. It doesn't change our accountability and responsibility to what the Word of God says. And it tells us that this takes place in the fourth year of his reign. Well, because of that, because his heart is hardened again and leading the people away, something else happened in the fourth year. That's in verse six of what we're looking at. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also brought some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now, this takes place in 605 B.C., just again, a little bit of external history that we know um, what takes place. Now, he's coming back. He has now wiped out the Assyrians. This is Nebuchadnezzar, wiped out the Assyrians, put Egypt back in their place. They're never going to come back out and fight against them. And now he's on his way back. He stops in Jerusalem, and he's going to square up here because now they, they, and it tells us that he binds him in chains. Second Kings chapter 24 says, In his days Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. So it tells us he binds him in chains to take him to Babylon, but he doesn't. He doesn't end up taking him there. He strikes a deal. Notice it says he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He never leaves Jerusalem, but he says, I'll serve you. I'll, we will follow after you. We know it also says three years later, he will turn away from that. Nebuchadnezzar leaves in a hurry because in this time, as this is all taking place, he finds out that his father has died. So he needs to get back to Babylon to take over the throne before things start getting crazy. So he leaves in a hurry, makes unbelievable time getting back to Babylon, but it tells us he takes some things with him when he goes. He takes some people, he takes some, some money and some, some artifacts from the temple to take them back. And some of these that are involved in the first deportation, interestingly enough, we read about in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, 
who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had the ability of serving the king's court. And he, he ordered him to teach them the literature of the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them daily rations of the king's choice, food from the wine and, and the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. Daniel was assigned the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So in this first deportation, of Jews from Jerusalem to Babylon, we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are taken in that first wave. It tells us then in the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar is when he has the dream that only Daniel can then interpret and then because he's able to interpret the dream, he is placed into this, promoted into this high, high cabinet position for King Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning of his reign, the second year of his reign. So we see this first deportation, who is also who a, a part of that. Um, we see now Nebuchadnezzar as he is the king. 605, this takes place. But then, in the, like I said, after a few years and after three years, then Jeconiah, or I'm sorry, Jehoiakim, rebels. He says, we're going to follow you, but then he says, he, he stops that. The rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, it tells us, verse 8, and the abominations which he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, and Jehoiachin, his son, became king in his place. So we have Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. You're keeping all this straight. There's a test afterwards. I won't tell you the, their original names that they were changed to and from. There's a whole bunch of extra stuff like that. That's extra credit if you want that. Jehoiachin, it says, was eight years old when he became king. That, um, some manuscripts say 18, and 2 Kings tells us 18 as well. That's an early, must be a, a, a transcription error. He wasn't eight. We know he has wives. Um, so uh, he's 18 when he became king. And again, he reigns three months and 10 days in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. No one turning back. Everyone continuing to go down this path. He only reigns three months and 10 days. Why? Well, it tells us in verse 10, at the turn of that year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the valuable articles of the house of the Lord, and he made his kinsman Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. So his dad dies, and he, again, he's rebelling against it. Nebuchadnezzar, after he gets everything straightened out and gets things under control, sends down to Jerusalem, this isn't gonna work. Um, and so he brings his son back, puts, puts uh, Jehoiakim's brother, Zedekiah, as the ruler in his place and brings Jehoiachin back to, back to Babylon, along with now the second deportation. A large group of Jews go back this time, and in that group is the prophet Ezekiel who will set up his home place. He, he, is, he is settled into the, an area where a lot of the Jewish exiles are. 
And he will be one, as he writes Ezekiel, that is ministering to those, bringing, again, continuing to bring warning to those that are turning away from God. But we see in this, as they are coming back in these places, God strategically placing We have Ezekiel with the exiles to to exhort them, to challenge them, to encourage them, those that are following after the Lord. And we see Daniel already in this high high position in the government in the capital of Babylon, right next to King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We find out again, following reading through their story, they too as well become very influential in the government of Babylon. Well, verse 11 Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. Continually, Jeremiah will bring words to him to repent, to turn, but he ignores it. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear allegiance by God But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nation. So even the religious leaders, most of the people, not all, as we see. We we see the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We see that story, Ezekiel and others. So not all of them, but again, the majority of the hearts had completely turned away, including the religious leaders, the priests, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, again, here's verse 15, that just blesses me over and over again when we see the heart of our heavenly father. The Lord, the God of his father, sent word to them again and again by his messengers. Note, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Our long-suffering God, he has compassion. As the word tells us, it's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't take delight in the death of any wicked. And we see again his heart. He sends word again and again and again. And I am so glad that God is not like me. How many of you would have run out of patience long before this? (laughs) But again and again, he keeps extending this opportunity. Until finally, the hearts are hardened so much more. Verse 16, they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. There was no more more chance that this was going to come to any other outcome. Reading, again, I mentioned to you, God has me reading in Jeremiah on my daily time in the mornings and came across an interesting thing where God even told Jeremiah, don't even pray for them anymore. Don't even pray for them anymore. And, and God had gotten to this point with them that we're going we're gonna to see in a moment. Again, it's not like God now just cuts them off. They're done. But he comes with this and he brings now 
tells us verse 17, therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand, all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his officers. He brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. This takes place in 586 BC. This is the final deportation. This is the third wave, the final one. And the devastation that comes. It tells us again, reading in 2 Kings, they, they besieged the city. They, they built up around the city. They couldn't get in or out. They tried to, tried to flee out. It tells us in, uh, let's see, chapter 24, they try to flee out through the city, but they're, they're, they're captured. The army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. The king tried to run away, overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all the armies that had scattered before him. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon in Riblah, and he passed sentence on him. Now, Ezekiel 12, 13 says something interesting in the prophecy that was recorded before this about Zedekiah. It said he will go to Babylon, but he will not see Babylon. And reading that in a prophecy, you wonder, what what does that mean? Well, it tells us in 2 Kings, the fulfillment of that, the sentence that was passed on him, because again, he rebelled against the king, but more so against the Lord. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. But that's the last thing he would see, because it says, then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze fetters, and brought him to Babylon. He wouldn't see Babylon, because the last thing he saw was his, his own sons killed before him. And again, God in his compassion continuing to extend the the hand of grace and because of his compassionate heart to the people. But they said, we don't want anything to do with you. So God allows the world to take what it will and the world has no compassion. And unfortunately, that is what they asked for and that is what they got. Verse 21 says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. We'll get to the, the prophecy of Jeremiah in a moment, fulfilling of that. Interestingly, the Sabbath, what it's speaking of there, we know of the Sabbath day, right? The seventh day, the Sabbath day the, on Saturday the day of rest. Well, they also had the Sabbath year for the land. And that's recorded for us back in Leviticus chapter 25, all the way back as God is giving the law to Moses before they even come into the land. It says, the Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I will give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord that you shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. 
Your, har- your harvests after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not grow, and the land shall have a sabbatical year. He tells them that, that everything that you will need will be grown up in the sixth year. You will have enough. You trust me in this. You will have enough to last you until that eighth year when you can plant again and all the way to the harvest. God will provide for you, but you give the land a rest. Well, there is not one recorded instance in the entire Old Testament of where they gave the land the Sabbath rest that God commanded. Interesting, the very next chapter, Leviticus chapter 26, when God is laying out the blessings for obedience and the penalties for disobedience, he says this, then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of the desolation while you are in the enemy's land. And then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbaths while you were living on it. The very next chapter, all the way back in Leviticus, he said the land will get its rest. The land will get its Sabbaths. The 490 years that you did not, divided by seven, is 70. Now the prophet Jeremiah says, declare, God declares it in uh, Jeremiah 25 verse 11 that the time that you will be away in Babylon in captivity, 70 years. Also though, and this is where I want to finish tonight because again, it would, be, it would be awful if that's where the chapter ended, would it not? That it would just be like, okay, you blew it and so you're done. Again, we see the heart of God. Because speak it, the, the, the prophecy that again is referred to there in chapter, chapter 36, verse 21, Jeremiah 29 tells us these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, to the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So now, Jeremiah, the voice of the Lord, sending this message to those exiled in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God says, I did this. I sent you into exile. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and not decrease. This is not a time for you to throw up your hands, sit down. No, thrive where you are. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Those prophets were saying, God has cut us off, God is done with us. We need to, you know, assimilate here. We need to do this. We need to follow after them. We need to do what they're doing, adopt their gods, follow after them. God says, do not listen to them. This is verse 10, Jeremiah 29, 10. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And then Jeremiah 29, 11. Ever wonder where the context of all of that was? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all of the nations and from all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Again, we see the heart of God. He didn't want to have to get to this point, but they forced it. And he did this not to wipe them out, but to, again, discipline them, to do what needed to be done in order to to take care of this. They were an idolatrous people. They continually turned away from God to follow after the idols of the nations that were around them. You know, when they come back 70 years later, that's not a problem anymore. It's not that they don't have other issues. It's not that they're perfect in the way they follow after God. But they're zealous about idolatry. They don't, they, idolatry, worshiping the idols of the people around them, not a problem. That's the, they never fall into that problem again. God did this, not again. You see his heart towards them. He loves his people. And he'll do what is necessary to, to bring them back to him. And my word to you tonight is if, if you are running from God, If you have turned your back on God, you know, if I'm talking to you, you know your heart, you know, and if if you've deceived yourself, I pray that God would reveal that to you. Don't harden your heart. Don't keep running. Don't, don't push away the message or, or the, just because of the messenger, don't push away the message. Turn back to God. He loves you so much. And his desire is that you would be reconciled to him. Don't. Make it go to the point where extensive discipline is necessary to bring you back. His heart is a compassionate heart towards you. Well, again, it's praise God. It doesn't, it doesn't end there. We see the heart of God in this. Verse 22, back in chapter 36, verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, interestingly enough, tells us in Daniel, we looked at the first seven verses of Daniel chapter one. The last verse of Daniel chapter one says this, Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So in in the first year of Cyrus the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king of Persia so that he sent a proclamation throughout this kingdom and also put in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given to me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Seventy years later, Cyrus says, go back, go back to Jerusalem. Build a house to the Lord there. 
interesting. Again, Daniel chapter 9, and we'll just kind of fly through this for the sake of time. Daniel chapter 9, it tells us Daniel is going through the word of God. He is, he's reading that and he's praying and he comes across, as it tells us here, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, those two that we looked at, that it's 70 years. And he, he starts seeking the Lord and he realizes we're coming up to that. We're coming very close to this, this time frame. And for you note takers, or you can actually, you can turn there right now, Isaiah 44, because this is, this is just too cool to pass up without looking at it yourself. Isaiah 44. Verse 28, Isaiah 44, verse 28. Now, before we read it, this was written 150 years before what we're talking about right now, okay? Isaiah 44, verse 28, it says, it is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he will perform all my desire and he, will de- and he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Chapter 45, horrible chapter break, but there it is. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. For the sake of of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Cyrus by name. Now, can you imagine Daniel? He's read this. He knows this. He's read in Jeremiah that it's 70 years. And then it says, in the first year of Cyrus, Darius was the king before. All of a sudden, this guy comes in, the new king, his name is Cyrus. Can you imagine, Daniel? Hey, because he's, you know, he's a high-ranking high official. He's Darius' right-hand man, too, just like he was Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus comes in, he goes, first order of business, I got to show you something. Look what it says. 150 years ago, this was prophesied about you. And we see in the response that he has, he gets it. Cyrus gets it. Notice he says in verse 23, Cyrus King, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me. I didn't get this. I didn't accumulate this. How how they take over the area. I mean, again, all God. And And he recognizes this. The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem. He got it. And he followed after it. And he did it. I guess the, the second part of a takeaway for us. If, again, if the Lord is speaking to you, you've turned away from him, you've, you've wandered away from him, or you've never taken that step of faith to come to him, don't harden your heart anymore. Turn to the Lord Jesus tonight. Repent and, and, and come into that saving relationship or be restored to that relationship that you've, that you've you walked away. If you're in that prodigal stage, come back to him. Don't, don't make him pursue you to the point where it, 
where it's very painful. But for, for the rest of us here tonight, the thing that I look at in this, just a couple of things real quickly. Look at, we look around and we see that it appears as though everything is out of control. But guys, God has everything in control. He, the first, the first people being deported, the first people taken out, a young man, early, late teenager, because he followed after God, because he was looking to God, God raised him up and put him in a position right next to King Nebuchadnezzar. God had his man right there in power, kept him around until King Cyrus comes in, had him pour into, gave him a heart for the scripture, had him pouring into that. Had, had some others wrong, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right there. Then the people need encouragement. Okay, in the second group that's going out, I'm going to bring another young man, probably in his mid-20s, Ezekiel. Be blessed. You be blessed. God had his people. God had his things moving everywhere. And then again, Cyrus here, called by name. God is in control. We serve a sovereign God. Things are out of control Things look crazy around us. That's when we draw tighter and tighter to the one that we know. The Bible tells us nothing can take us out of his hand. Nothing can separate us from his love. If you're in a, in a situation in your life where it just seems like, man, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand this place that I'm in or this, this position that I'm in. I give you the same words that that. God gave to them because what he's saying in essence is you're going to be there a little while, but that's not your home. Your home is, is back here and I'm going to bring you back here someday. Guys, our home isn't here. <laughs> we're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. But while we're here, get about your business. Blossom where you're planted. <laughs> Use what it is that God gives to you. I love this. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to, on the Lord for its behalf. Be praying for this country. Be praying for this world. Be praying for all of the things while we're here, knowing that we're not going to be here long <laughs> and we're going to be home soon. And while we're here, let's get about the business of the Lord while we're here. Amen. Well, as you can see, if you haven't closed your Bibles already and you're already reading ahead the first two verses of Ezra, are the last two verses of Second Chronicles. And so we'll be transitioning into that now, the 70 years of captivity we see as we look, you know, again, you can read if in our time in between, read Daniel. It covers a lot of that, a lot of the things going on during that time frame. Ezra, as I mentioned, if you want some, or I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, Ezekiel, not Ezra, Ezekiel. If you want some things in there to be reading in the meantime, can be reading ahead into Ezra because that's where we'll be heading next. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word and, and how it is so, again, impactful, meaningful to us today. Lord, let us never be like the, the children of Israel who continually turned away from you. Gosh, it does hurt, God, because so often we can be like that. But we thank you that you're so patient with us. That your, that your grace is continually extended to us. And if you're here tonight, as I mentioned, and Lord, laying on your heart, you've 
you've never taken that step of faith to come to him or you have and you've, you've wandered away, don't harden your heart. It's a matter of repentance. It's a matter of turning from, from your sin, turning from that lifestyle, going away from God. Turn from that and turn to him. The Bible says he will abundantly pardon. Come to him in faith, trusting in the completed work of Jesus on the cross to wash away all of your sin. Lord, we thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have in you. We thank you for the fact that this is not our home. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we can be effective tools in your hand while we are here to make an impact on this community that you've placed us in. You've planted us here, God. We want to be used by you to affect and to bless this community around us. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.